Well, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing today? We have uh, have a few people that have gotten sick, so be praying for uh, those who are ill and recovering from that. But we are concluding our series today, People First, as we've been trying to uh, focus on our relationships, on people at the start of the year. It's, uh, you know, it's really important that we kind of take ownership over those relationships, focus on what we can do. Um, and so we've been talking about that over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to kind of wrap it up today. Um, I know that uh, relationships are extremely different from other arrangements in life. Can you imagine if you um, were proposing to somebody and instead of getting down on the knee, you popped out a contract and handed it to them and said, you know what, can you look this over and take a look at this and see if this is okay? Uh, I have a proposal to make for you. Sign right here, initial it right here. Let's get this notarized and then we can move on with our life. That just feels weird, right? Because relationships are so much more complicated than that. They are, they're more than a contract. It is, you know, what we do when we stand up in our wedding is we give our wedding vows. We don't, like, uh, make a, a, a big deal about the contract side of it, even though that is a part of it. Um, maybe uh, Jeff Bezos should have proposed like that. Um, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but... Um, but uh, we don't think about marriage relationships or our relationships in regards to a contract because it's so much more meaningful than that. And so I have uh, had the opportunity to officiate many, many weddings, um, and I've uh, uh, heard all kinds of different vows. I always tell people, you know what, uh, you know, if... If you're not sure, go with the regular ones because you know what? The, let the pros write the vows, okay? They're, these are tested throughout time uh, instead of, you know, when I saw you in the starlight, I knew that our hearts would be united forever. You know, I've heard them all, but I'm not dogging those vows. But those vows, those words, those meaning are significant. And important, and it's something that you know you should you can really like say this is something that are going to be like core at my relationship. Um, in the scripture, it gives us lots of principles, multiple principles uh, that said these are things that we need to like have at the core of our relationships, and these are things that kind of uh, overflow in relationships that are healthy and people that are following God and are mature in their relationships. And it's, some of them are really hard, and we're going to kind of go through them. But, you know, the, the language that I, uh, I prefer over the, like, principles or rules or laws is, is a covenant. Just like, you know, weddings have their vows, and they have those, those words. The biblical language that is used over and over is a covenant, uh, we have our covenant partnership class here that some of you went through here in the fall. And actually, a few people, um, after uh, many delays and uh, reschedules, a couple of people are going to be officially uh, sworn in. Not really. That's not how we do it around here. But officially, we'll take kind of those vows to become a covenant partner today. And how we talk about it as a church is we say, you know what, we covenant together that we're going to faithfully participate in the ministries of this church through our prayers, through our presence, through our gifts, 
through our service. And we talk about those in our class. We say, you know what, through our prayers, we better be involved in other people's lives and we better care about what's going on in other people's lives. Pray for one another, intercede for one another, be there for one another. With our presence, we better be in relationship with one another. We gather for worship, we gather for other things because you can't really have a relationship if you're completely absent or not around. We give to one another, we're generous, we share our, our, our abilities and talents together and give to benefit the whole, and we serve one another. Those are, that's kind of language that we use as a church to say, we're, you know, we're not, like, we're, we're not like writing a contract. We're not doing these things. We're making an agreement together, how we will treat one another. And that is very important and very valuable. And you hear that all throughout the scripture. In fact, I'm reading right now, um, kind of in the new year, I've been reading through the book of Genesis. And over and over and over, God shows up and makes a covenant with his people. But I was... And I knew that, and I've read it before, but I was just surprised and took note of how many times he repeats that over and over. And Abraham, every single time he had a struggle or difficulty come up, God shows up again, and he repeats the covenant he had. I'm making a covenant with you, and you will have children, and there'll be a blessing to the entire world. You're going to be blessed, and all nations will be blessed through you. He repeats it multiple times, over and over. And whenever ever Abraham has doubts, God shows up again and repeats it again. And so today we're going to give our best attempt at making a relationship covenant. And I want you to personalize this a little bit, but there's multiple principles in Scripture that are overarching principles for how we treat our relationships. And I can't do it all justice in one day, but I'm going to give you kind of seven things that are themes throughout Scripture. And I picked one Bible verse for each of these things. But each of them are, are represented multiple times over and over and over in both like principles and in stories and examples. And, and hopefully the goal is at the end of it, we can have some of these kind of, kind of pillars that are a part of our life. And we say that is at the core of how I treat one another, how I treat people. How I treat the people who are closest to me, how I treat the people here in this room, how I treat the people that are, you know, even not as close, but still intersect me in my life. And so we're going to attempt that uh, today. And I want you to kind of think of it not as like an all-inclusive list. Um, and I don't want you even to think of it as like tomorrow I got to incorporate every single one of these things in every conversation I have. I want you to think of... These are principles that maybe there's one or two that you could say, I need to work on that right here, right now. That's something I can incorporate right now in my life. So um, I'm going to start with four things that are relationship do's that God, the scripture says over and over need, you need to do. And so the first one is return evil with good. First Peter um, First Peter 3, 9 says this. Um, it says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to do this you are because to do this you are called, and so that you may inherit a blessing. 
This is a principle that is repeated multiple times in Scripture, and you see it most clearly in the life of Jesus. And he, he reminds people that if you repay evil with evil, you have more evil. That's, that's what you have. And it, it's something that is really hard to get a hold of, and a lot of people never grasp this in their relationships. Is It seems like, I will treat you well as long as you treat me well. I will be your best friend as long as you treat me well. Or, you know what? Hey, boss, if you're going to do that to me, you know what? I'm going to do something back to you. And what happens is over time, if this is kind of always the response, evil prevails. Evil overcomes good. And the, the scripture gives us charge over and over to say, you know, overcome evil with good. Don't do the reverse. In your relationships, in your, how you interact with people, you, we need to make sure that like, if we're getting mistreated, we don't fall into the same category. I remember having this conversation over and over with kids that I've coached in sports. Where somebody, you know, like it's, it's classic football situation. That what happens in a football game is somebody takes a cheap shot at your best player. That's what always happens. And I remember a couple of years I was coaching here, we had two superstar players that went on to play college football. And if those two players were, were out, our offense didn't work and our defense didn't work. And they were, just, they were just really, really good athletes. So every time we'd show up to a game, there'd be somebody that tried to take a shot at them. Somebody tried to take a cheap shot. Somebody tried to say something to them. Somebody tried to get under their skin. And, and there was multiple times. I, I just talked to them. Uh, I wasn't an X's and O's guys, but I was, I was there just to calm things down sometimes. That was my job uh, with, with the football team is calm everybody down. And like the head coach had me just pray for the coaches and uh, people like that. That was my job. Uh, but but we, were, we were at a game and somebody took it just cheap shot and talking and all this stuff to somebody and as soon as the other player reacts they get the flag and they get they 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 get in trouble for it that's how it always goes right it's always the response that gets caught isn't it and then all of a sudden you're like it's not fair this is what we do in our relationships and it's silly is that we try to retaliate in small ways. We try to win the argument. We try to like put one over on somebody and do harm towards others. And what, end, what, what in the end happens is just everybody's mad. And there's no resolution. And there's no peace. The scripture gives this really challenging principle. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. That's probably even more practical because that's, that's where it gets hard, right? Don't return that insult for insult. And it says, instead, repay evil with blessing because to you you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. See, the principle is if you return evil with evil... Uh, whether or not you initiated it, whether or not you were the one that started this, what happens is there is a degree of evil in your response. You are acting in a way that is sinful. You're acting in a way that is wrong. So whether or not you initiated it or not, whether or not you hate what is going on 
that is directed towards you, if you respond with the same thing, you are being the same thing. You're doing the same thing. And so you can say, I, I hate it when people say that to me. And so I said that back. Well, you just became what you hate. You became what you, you disagree with. You just, you just did exactly what you were mad about. And you returned it. But instead, the scripture tells us, return it with blessing. Imagine an insult being responded to with a blessing. Saying, you know, I hope, uh, I wish you well. I want good things to happen. Uh, changing that to a place where instead of somebody trying to harm you, you're hoping that things go well for the other person. If you return evil with evil, evil is what is going on in that situation. If you return insult with insult, insults are what will carry the day. If you return evil with blessing, the scripture says you will be blessed. You will be blessed. One, it, it has an incredible uh, way to repair and restore a relationship that is going, going off course. Or a conversation that is going off course. But secondly, you will be a person that is giving blessing instead of evil with your life. You will be somebody that is marked by words of like peace and compliment instead of being somebody that is harming others. And so a, a real important principle, and I like it as the first one, because it's a good thing to think about and get our minds right when we're talking about principles of relationship, is saying, I am going to be on the side of trying to promote resolution, peace, and goodwill, instead of perpetuating bad things and repeating other people's mistakes because something's been inflicted on me. This is really hard. And we could go all day and we could probably preach a whole message on this because there's times people will take advantage of you or harm you or do things that are completely inappropriate. And that is not your responsibility for you to like uh, take ownership of what other people do to you, but you are responsible for your own actions. And so you can walk away from a relationship, walk away from a situation that is just toxic and harmful, somebody that is like not willing to be reasonable. You can walk away and move on and pray for them, but, you know, move on in that relationship, okay? However, you shouldn't return it with evil. You shouldn't like perpetuate that. And you should do everything you can to return it with blessing. So, continuing on. Um... Forgiveness. Matthew 6. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Another principle that we see in Scripture over and over. Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. There's parables that detail this principle. There are stories all throughout Scripture that, that, that touch on this. But over and over we see consistently the principle is that you have been forgiven. You've been forgiven great things. You have sinned. And God has in his mercy said, I forgive you by my grace, by no, nothing that you have done, but because I love you and care about you, I will forgive you. I will offer you forgiveness and grace. 
And all throughout the scripture it says how insulting that is to God is that he abundantly offers forgiveness to us. And how insulting that is when we don't extend that to others. I mean, think about, think about the hypocrisy. Think about, think about all, you know, how we uh, sometimes can, can like almost casually take the fact that God forgave us of all the sins and, you know, all the consequences that we have uh, of our sin. God is willing to forgive on a moment's notice. Sometimes our prayers are almost like, you know, kind of like just, you know, like we know we messed up and we're kind of like, God, forgive me on that one. And then we, we kind of move on. We don't even think about it sometimes. We're casual with the fact that we receive God's forgiveness so abundantly, so easily. And we need to reflect that the fact of the matter is how we treat others is a reflection. And is, uh, there is a correlation between how we treat others and how God treats us. There's a correlation between how we offer forgiveness and grace and how God judges us and gives us forgiveness and grace. I don't know about you, but when I stand before the God of the universe after my life is over and give an account for my life, I hope and pray that the grace category is a big one, okay? That I've built up lots of like you know, kind of capital with the grace category, that God is very gracious with me. And it's not like I'm going back, hey, remember when you were in kindergarten? Remember what you said? Remember what you did to your... You know, I, I hope and I pray that I can be a person that builds a lot and lot of grace in my life. And the scripture tells us God will use kind of the same uh, principles that you use towards others, he will be, you know, kind of gracious in the same way towards us. If we're completely rigid, completely unforgiving, why would God be so gracious with us? Grace is one of the wonderful gifts that God gives us. I want that to be in abundance. And I start by at least offering that and giving grace to everyone that I can. And, um, uh, making forgiveness a clear principle in my relationships. Number three. This is the principle that the kids are going to be talking about in kids' church. Because it kind of uh, is all-encompassing in many ways. Matthew seven twelve says this. It says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. It's the simple golden rule. If there's a principle that like has been kind of repeated from people who follow the Bible or not over and over and over, it is kind of this one. This is the one that is an easy test. And it's so simply put, but it's so practical. On a daily basis, if you have a conflict, if you have an issue with somebody else, just do a, like, just a, a quick golden rule check. How would I want to be treated in this moment, in this situation? Okay? How would I want somebody to react to something that I did that was wrong? How would I want somebody to react in this situation, in this conversation? And if, like, it's pretty easy to start coming up with solutions on how to deal with conflict 
um, when, you, when you take that principle in mind. What would be the greatest example that, of like how somebody dealt with it maturely, handled it, were kind and gracious to me when a situation went wrong? That is how I should treat others. And if we follow that principle, um, as the scripture says, it, it, it pretty much makes all the rules and laws simple. Okay? And that's what we're talking about. Relationships break down when, like, kind of these principles start to break down. And then you have to make a bunch of rules and laws to fill in the gaps. When civility breaks down, you have to have a bunch of laws. But when people simply just follow the golden rule, how would I want to be treated when I'm driving my car? Uh, I want to be safe. and I don't want other people to, you know, uh, do these different things. How would I like to be treated as far as living in society and culture? How would I like to be treated by my boss? How would I like to be treated as a family member, a sibling, a mother, father? How would I like to be treated in those ways? All of a sudden, everything is simple and clarified, and you don't have to have a thousand rules to manage your relationships. It's just the simple dignity of, of caring for others and treating them right. So that's a great check in all of our relationships and a great overarching principle. Ephesians 4.15. Speak the truth in love. It says this, Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is head, the Christ. That is Christ. Uh, this great principle, and it's, it, it's within talking about how you relate to one another, and that whole chapter would be a great one to read. Um, but it's just talking about kind of maturity in the body of Christ. And this great principle is twofold and gives us great balance. We need to be people of truth. People who say clearly, uh, you know, what's important. We should, we should really care about the truth. You know, if there's any kind of deception or manipulation in how we treat one another, we need, to, we need to be cautious about that. We need to be very thoughtful that we speak the plain truth, but that is always done in a spirit of love. And if they don't go hand in hand, they, uh, both of them can be destructive. Just truth for the sake of like putting somebody in their place and plainly criticizing everything that they do is... Not going to build your relationship, okay? Just like telling everyone every one of their uh, possible faults and just saying, hey, I'm a truth teller. That's, well, good job. Uh, you're going to be lonely in your life. Um, but we need to be able to have relationships where the truth is spoken. And there are times where we need to challenge one another. There's definitely times if we're placed in a position of authority like parents, we need to speak the truth to our kids and not let that go and not let it slide. We need to speak the truth to our close friends and say, you know what, maybe you're going down a wrong path. I, you know, we, need to, we need to clarify these things. You need to speak the truth, but the point is not to harm. You understand. That's the second side of it. If the point is to harm, then your spirit is wrong. The point is to love. And so that's how the scripture puts those two together in a really important way. That the truth 
should be something that is a part of our relationships, but it has to be accompanied with love so that we make sure that we build people up, not tear people down. The point and the objective is to help people grow. And so they have to go one with another. So those are principles of do. Principles that guide our speech, principles that guide like kind of our, our relationships and conversations. And you can think about maybe in all of the scope of maybe relationships that you're struggling with or dealing with, uh, go down this list. And if there's any of those that are like amiss, any of those that are going wrong, then start there. That's, that's kind of the proactive way that you can approach it, even if there's difficulty coming your way. If you do those active things in your relationships, at least you'll be, you'll be doing your part to move it in a positive direction. The scripture gives us lots of don'ts as well. And this is, again, not an all-encompassing list, but several that are principles all throughout scripture. Proverbs 16, 28. It says this. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Um, a lot of times in our culture and our world, there's conflict that, that, that is stirred up, gossip that is stirred up, uh, just difficulty that is stirred up. And you see what it says here in the scriptures. It's, it's kind of, there's a perversion to it. And that's the, that's the language that Proverbs uses. That there's a perversion to somebody who is in the middle and causing conflict repeatedly over and over. And there's, there's a real problem with that. I've found that, that, that there are times that there, uh, people get into this mindset of always wanting to be in the middle of negative things their entire life. Maybe it's, maybe it's their own world is a little chaotic and they kind of secretly like it when everybody else's world is a little chaotic. Maybe it's, you know, it's kind of, uh, there's some misery going on there. There's pain going on there. And they'd like to see it like kind of spread out in more categories and more places. Be very cautious. Be very, very, very thoughtful about even sometimes casual conversations that seem simple. That like all of a sudden it's like, am I delving into territory where like I'm breaking confidence I'm raising conflict. I'm talking about things that maybe I don't know much about. There's been a couple of things that I've done this past year as I've seen our culture kind of devolve into a lot of this kind of conflict. So there's a couple of changes I've made in my own way of thinking about things. I've heard a lot of people use public figures and talk about how they hate this public figure or this public figure and they hate them because of this or they said this. And so like, like, uh, you know, just kind of a lot of uh, dividing lines. I have opinions on those things. Yeah, I, I, I'm not like somebody that's kind of just like, well, it doesn't matter. I know these things matter. But I've heard a lot of friends or people close to me or even on social media saying like words like, I hate this person or that person and using kind of that language to people that they've never met. And I have a little bit of a problem with that. Because there's people who have different political points of view than me that are in this room. And I care about you and I love you. And to kind of like throw those types of like broad statements out there about even a public figure um, is problematic for me. 
And so I be, begin doing this. Sometimes people ask me, what do you think about this person? And my new response is, and it's a little bit sarcastic, and, you know, it's kind of fun for me. So, uh, but I say, I've never met that person. I don't know them. So I don't know what to say about that person. Because they may have a different... Now, if you want to ask me about like their point of view on that, and do I agree about that, that maybe I'll get into. I probably won't. But maybe I'll get into that. But you're asking me, what do I think about that person? I don't know that person. And I should love that person. Even if they're faulted and flawed, and even if they're doing things that are harmful, I should still have a hope for their redemption and I should still have love uh, towards them. That should be my feeling. And I think that there's, there is a serious issue going on where we are becoming a culture that is just, just stirring up conflict over and over. And you see what the scripture says, it's kind of perverse and it's crazy. You're creating problems where there doesn't need to be problems, conflict where there doesn't need to be conflict. And so I am trying to do this little mental check for myself when I, you know, start reading a news story or something like that. And I kind of feel like the blood pressure go up. I start to pause and I say, all right, I may have an opinion about this issue, but I'm not going to cast somebody out that I've never met as like, you know, I hate that person or I'm not not on their side. That's that's uh, a little bit problematic for me. And I think in some ways what has happened in our culture is that we have, you know, kind of, kind of played out these arguments and debates uh, like in these worlds that there's no way that there can be resolution. If you have a problem or an issue with somebody that like lives in your home, then here's how you should do with it. You should go to them and work that out. If you have a problem with somebody that you've never met, you can't work that out. And so it's just conflict that just kind of continues to rise up. And I think it's harmful for us personally and spiritually to be people that are continually in the middle of of division. It doesn't mean that I'm not minimizing evil and good. I'm not minimizing the fact that there are bad things that are going on in the world. I'm not minimizing the passion we should have against those things. But I think that we need to be very careful about how we speak. And how we, how, how, we, how we gossip and divide. Um, so check yourself on that. Along a so, similar vein, Ephesians chapter 4, 29 says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, and it may benefit all the, those who listen. Um, I think another uh, cultural shift that I've seen uh, that is kind of being, that is accelerating really quickly is a lot of kind of unwholesome talk. Uh, If you want to be a witness to goodness and you want to be a witness to God, I think the easiest way to do it is talk in a way that is encouraging and uplifting instead of the way that everybody else talks. You will stand out. You will stand out in your place of work. You will stand out amongst other people. You will stand out in all kinds of conversations if you do not participate in that way and instead decide my talk will not be unwholesome 
unwholesome. Um, in other scriptures, it says, you know, don't joke about things that are like crude. Don't like use necessarily like, you know, language that is harmful to, or, towards other people. Instead, use your words to build people up. And if you want to really, really be unique in our culture and our time, and I think we should strive for that. If you really want to have a witness, speak differently than the way everybody else speaks. People will take note, and there'll be something very noteworthy and different about you. Many times in my life, I've, I've tried to be a positive witness. I've tried to share my faith with others. I've tried to have taken opportunities when the moment strikes to say, you know what, the reason I live my life this way is because I believe that there's a God that I, haven't, I have to give an account for my life. I believe that there's a God that loves me and forgave me and I'm trying to follow him down that path. There's been many times I've tried to express that to friends and people. I'll tell you the number one way it's come up is through language, through my words, is is I've di differentiated myself from other people. Going back to my coaching days, I remember one of the kids came up to me one time when I was coaching football, and he said, you're the pastor of the church at the, at, you know, that meets at the school? I said, yeah. He said, that makes sense, because you're the only coach that isn't cussing and screaming at us all the time. And he said, that makes sense. It's really interesting how quickly you can be a witness by changing the way that you speak to one another. When everybody else is being uh, dogging people and saying crude things and, and going down that road, if you don't participate and you're not that way, you will be distinct and unique in our culture. Uh, last one, division. If I can find it. Here it is. Titus 3... 10 and 11. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. So it's, this is definitely talking about the context of the church community. It's talking about the priority of unity over um, like dealing with people who are continually divisive over and over. But there's some pretty harsh language right here. That like is, it, it, it's pretty direct. Um, and it's saying, you know, that, that a divisive person, um, you shouldn't have anything to do with them after, after you kind of warn them a couple of times. And it says a divisive person, it's warped and sinful and they are self-condemned. So if somebody is constantly causing division, disorder, constantly trying to like pick a fight or an argument, that, that's a problem. And the scripture talks about how, like, especially in the context of a place where you want to be unified, like the church, that like, it shouldn't be something that you let take hold. It shouldn't be something. And we've seen uh, throughout the ages, churches divide over silly little things. And constantly the scripture reminds us to be people that unify, not people that divide. Disagreement is different, but constantly uh, like causing trouble for the sake of trouble is a serious problem that the scripture says is it's sinful. And they're going to have to give an account for their own actions 
by being a divisive person. So here's our list. It's not all inclusive, like I said, but imagine developing over time a covenant. I've had uh, friends that I saw hanging on their wall. A really great example of like kind of that wedding vow picture that they typed up like principles for their home. And they said, these are the things that are going to guide our home. And they thought about it as they were going into their marriage and they wrote it up and they, they put it on their wall and they framed it. And at their wedding, they had a bunch of people sign around it to just to commemorate that. And said, this is our covenant to one another on how we are going to treat one another. Those covenants are powerful. Make a decision in your life that these are kind of these principles or some of these principles right now I'm going to take hold of and say, I'm not going to allow myself to go down that road. I'm not going to allow myself to gossip, corrupt talk, division. I'm not going to allow myself to go that way. And when I interact with others, I'm going to, I'm going to return evil with good. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to follow the golden rule. I will speak the truth in love. My challenge to you is that relationships are a struggle. They're difficult. It's something we always have to work on and be kind of working on and developing. But our hope is that our goal is 100% redemptive. What I mean by that, our goal is always just like God. God said, I am coming to this world to redeem, to save. I want to restore the relationship that you have with me. That should always be the goal. Our goal is always to redeem. Our goal is always to bring back and to repair. Our goal is always to make right. Our goal is to kind of to make it move along in a way that is positive and not be destructive. There is destruction all over and there's relationships that are divided all over the place. Make a commitment that I will covenant that it won't be because of these things that I'll do everything I can to follow these principles and be somebody who is peacemaking who is who is uh, bringing people together in unity who is filled with love who is a hundred percent redemptive in my goal of relationships will you pray with me God I thank you for these principles There's many that are convicting and challenging. There's things I can think about in lots of my different relationships where one or two of these need to improve. God, thank you for always wanting to redeem our relationship. Always wanting to push us towards a place where it's better, not worse. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for always forgiving us. Thank you for always encouraging us. Even when we were far from you, God, thank you for returning our sinfulness with the goodness of you giving up your life for us. God, we thank you for your example of how you are working endlessly to redeem relationships. God, I I think we get that on a big picture level. Now I pray 
that we would incorporate into our everyday conversations and relationships and forgive us where we've gone wrong. God, there's lots of people out there that are hurting and lashing out and maybe mistreating us. God, help us to be on the side of redemption. Give us grace when we fail. I want you to take a moment right now to kind of reflect on what God is speaking to you about. You can't fully, like, maybe digest all seven of those things that we talked about. But maybe there's one right now that you can think of that you can say, I didn't handle that right last time. Ask God for forgiveness and ask God for help.